Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacy Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of the Paleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome home. I was going to say welcome our special guest because, of course, Trizzy is joining me this week. Aw, she missed you. Oh, so much. much. She missed her her cuddle cuddle place. Yep. So I am home and there's so much laundry to do, but (laughs) Matt is doing all of it. And he's such a hero. Um, My children are not their best right now. Uh, but we had such a fantastic trip. We had like so many memories and we did so many things. I tried to take photos, even if they weren't like awesome and amazing, like every single day. And that way we can look back at the trip and not um, forget anything. I There's so many, I could not post them on social media, but I did post a bunch in IG stories, which would have disappeared for people by now. But that way, the people who are really interested and wanted to follow along could um, stalk me in a non-stalkery way. Um, (laughs) But we, we did so many things that our listeners recommended and... Um, as anticipated, they were all fantastic. Uh, the night tour of Alcatraz was amazing. I'm so glad we did it. Um, not only was Alcatraz itself and the night tour super interesting, and from a historical perspective, they talk a lot more um, about that island than just um, it being used as a prison, but they talk about it as be- being a national park and... Um, just a whole bunch of stuff. And so that was interesting. But uh, because we came onto the island before it was dark, and then you stay through sunset and darkness, we got to watch the sunset over San Francisco City. And like, it was just the most stunning sunset and skyline I've ever seen in my life. I There's no way to adequately take photos. Like you just can't capture uh, the colors no. and all that kind of stuff. But um it was magical. Like there were no other words. And so that was amazing. The unfortunate thing is that we brought with us record breaking cold weather and uh, rain to Southern California. So as soon as we left the cold, mostly rainy weather of San Francisco, um, we took that storm south with us and it <laughs> stayed really cold and um there was like hailstorms and flooding and all kinds of stuff while we were in LA southern california so um i think the interesting thing about that first of all is it offered us an opportunity to talk to the kids about the weather cuz they were like i don't understand how they always say there's a drought in southern california <laughs> and we were like well this is unusual and here's why <laughs> the floods are staying above the ground and not being absorbed and so we got a little science geeky on them and then um 
we also were able, I think, to make memories that they won't forget. I think there's something about like situations just not being ideal that really make them be magical and bring you together. You know, when you're like all huddled under an umbrella, when you're outside at a studio tour, freezing, but you're so interested in what you're looking at that you, you know, like forget all that. And I think um, we'll have a lot of memories for a really long time. So for those people who want to know what we did and are super interesting, especially relative to this show, I would definitely recommend um, the Exploratorium, which was recommended here on the podcast. It's very similar to Philadelphia's Please Touch Museum. Um, it's I, Those are the only two museums I've ever seen like it. Um, it's a very science there. You would love them. I don't know if you've been there to either one of Heaven. those. No. Oh my gosh, you would love them. Um, but it's like they're they're both in particular the exploratorium is like a science-based museum that encourages kids to do science experiments all over and so um they i've been to i've been to both type of science museum the one where everything's behind glass and the one where like everything's interactive and definitely interactive is a more fun experience Yeah. yeah so you know this anyway it was sectioned off by like light sound different areas so that the kids could learn. And the two coolest things that our kids liked are they were able to make a stop motion video. Like they had it set up so that you just like moved blocks that they had set out and took photos. And then you could send the video to yourself via email. So they thought that was cool and they can like rewatch the video later. And then um, they had circuit boards set up and none of the boys had ever, like they knew about circuits but they'd never played with electricity like that before. So that was really fun. Um, And I posted a ton of gluten-free and paleo-friendly places to eat and and how we ate along the coast. Um, The other thing, okay, so outside of San Francisco, we did the Monterey Bay Aquarium, which was um, as awesome as everyone anticipates, especially after seeing the Dory movie. Um, I saw an octopus there that I was pretty sure was totally the famous octopus. <laughs> and what else? In LA, um, it's, I just, I'm sorry, LA, you're not my favorite city. Uh, <laughs> we had a great time at the theme parks, but I just, uh, I really like, like the low keyed nature type um, vibe that San Francisco has and LA is just the opposite. LA is too similar to where I live for me to be, um, in love with it as a city, but there were so many great places to eat. And when I said gluten-free, like not only did people know what that meant, but they like changed gloves and they used new containers of things that hadn't like been touched by a spoon that had also touched a crumb. And, um, so that was, that was super awesome and amazing. So yeah, we did. All the cool things. All of them. That sounds like so much fun. If only we were not exhausted when (laughs) we came back on a Tuesday. So the kids all have to, like, go to school for the rest of the week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And we did that because that's when flights were cheap and it gave us an extra two days of vacation. But, of course, we're like, oh, why do we come back in the middle of a week? We're all so exhausted. So, (laughs) well, hopefully, uh, you know, like I find for myself that one of the best things that I can do for jet lag is just get 
force myself back into my routine, right? So eat dinner at now this is the time and go to bed at this is the time and wake up at this is, you know. And so hopefully having to jump back into the swing of things will help the boys all adjust quickly. Yeah. And we have been taking um, vitamin C and um, I will admit to giving them gummies, but also, you know, like fruits and, and whatever, as well as uh, kombucha. And I've been taking the vital proteins beef liver pills because the B12 in them is so great for my energy. So I'm and, – and broth, obviously, because – I'm obsessed with broth. I just eat mugs of it. Um, oh, I went to Mission Heirloom Restaurant. Have you been there? Um, no. Uh, just the kitchen that one time, Just the right? kitchen. Yeah. yeah. So I haven't – that was before – that was while they were building the restaurant. Yeah. The so restaurant their restaurant wasn't open yet. Stunning. Like, Yeah, I've seen pictures from different events there. It was raining when we were there and it was still – just amazing. And so if anyone is ever in that area, San Francisco, Berkeley, Oakland, anything like that, it's totally worth uh, the trip to check it out. And they completely understand AIP and paleo. Mm. Um, They do have dairy on their menu with high quality dairy, but there are so many options that doesn't include it if you don't want it. Um, So I know they had an an AIP waffle. Um, So it's like, if you're restricted either by allergies or by um, whatever choices that you're making. It's definitely a great place, um, a a special meal for yourself, for your family, whatever. So, um, and I got chicken liver mousse and broth there at basically like the middle of my trip, which is perfect timing. So thanks to Mission Heirloom for making us nourished. Did you bring home like seven bags of cassava cracker things? I did not. No. You know Mm. that I do not check bags. That's a thing. And (laughs) we took one extra duffel bag so that we could buy that amount of stuff to bring home and check just one bag. And we filled that one bag with dirty clothes. And wouldn't you know, the first time that I check a bag in a decade, like even when I went to Europe, even when I went on book tour, I never checked a bag. And um, they lost our luggage. We did did not miss our flight. We did not have a connecting flight. I think my name is just on a list. (laughs) Have they found it yet? Yeah, they they delivered it like after we went to bed last night. I mean, it hasn't happened to me in a long time, but every time it's happened, they've been pretty good. The one time that was really awkward, though... um, it was – I was traveling by myself with my then, you know, 14-month-old daughter, like when I just had one kid a million years ago. And um, they lost – They, I mean, they, my luggage just basically didn't make my connection. So I arrived. My luggage was a flight behind me. So it was going to arrive in like three to four hours, like no problem. They'll take it to my house. But the car seat was included. <laughs> and – uh, so I had to like go through, but they had all of these like loner car seats, which I thought was like, this must happen a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I, I remember yeah. when I first lost my luggage over a decade ago and it was like everything and Matt and I were traveling with Cole and they lost it for like three days and we had to buy everything new. It was 
it was so unpleasant that that's when I decided I was never going to check back again. So anyway, that's enough of that. Um, what have you been doing? How, how, what's going on with you? Um, pretty much just working on my book. <laughs> Kids have been to school. It's been kind of like the normal boring. I did grace again with 85 pounds. So I'm only 10 pounds away from RXing and finished in 524. So I, I earned myself doing it with 90 pounds next week. That's, whoop, that's the whoop. way this, this works. So I get to add five pounds every week. Um, so that was, that was exciting. I don't think I've, you know, I've been with the book, um, my approach with working out and doing CrossFit has been much more like just maintenance mode and doing what I need to reduce stress and maintain my muscle mass, but not really push myself for, you know, at big achievements. And, and so this is the first time in a while that I've been like, you know, Hey, I want to work towards grace and Oh, great. Well, that'll be our 2017 project. And it's, you know, the end of January and I'm only 10 pounds away. So it's, um, it's nice to sort of feel like something like that is, is coming together because I'm definitely in that part of writing where I'm having to be extremely proactive with my health. And, um, and so it's kind of nice to sort of see at least some place where things are falling into place. Cause it's, um, I'm at that point where it's, um, starting to get a lot harder just physically for me to keep up the pace. So, um, but you know, that's been my experience now for, this is my fourth book. So, you know, I, I knew it was coming and I've been anticipating it and I've been doing whatever I can to sort of structure my life so that I'm protecting my sleep. I'm protecting meditation time now, and I'm protecting, um, working out time. And, um, and that's definitely helpful. Um, I don't know if, uh, like, I don't know at what point I will, I've, I imagine at some point I will still hit a wall because I have with every single book. Um, but it's just, you know, it's, I think in so many ways that's sort of life with autoimmune disease and so much of um, our health journeys with autoimmune disease is um, really understanding our bodies to be able to develop those strategies to adapt so that we can still do, you know, still have great careers or, um, you know, be really engaged parents or, you know, whatever our life goals are and still be able to do them, even though the challenges are definitely more than average. So I'm in that, that sort of phase with the book where I'm like, all right, and there's, there's, there's a bit, there's a bit more left. Like it's not, uh, you know, we're just starting design and, um, there's still quite a bit of material that I haven't turned in. So, um, yeah, it's, it's intense, but that's pretty much been, yeah, my life has just been nose to the grindstone trying to get that done. Not gallivanting. <laughs> oh, but on the bright side, feels. on the bright side, my kids are not sleep deprived and jet lagged. So I do have that really wonderful thing going for me. 
Um, so Segway Queen. Mm, I'm jet lagged. <laughs> no, we need a segue. Um, we have a really interesting question, and I I knew that you were going to be jet lagged, and I knew that this was probably going to be a shorter show, um, just because of that. So I I felt like. Um, when I read this question, I was like, this is a really great question to tackle because I think this is a very common experience for many of us at the beginning of our, our journeys. Like you've heard that, that phrase, like, um, when do most people start their, start their diets tomorrow? Mm. Right. And I, 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 um, when I read that question, I sort of thought about, um, the n- number of times in my life where I have known, what I need to do, whether that was a well-informed what I need to do or a misguided what I need to do, but I had a sense of this thing that I had to change, this diet I had to go on or whatever. Um, And I just couldn't find the um, mental strength because, you know, as much as like, I, I really dislike it when people frame paleo or AIP as hard um, because it's not. Neither one of them are hard. But there is an adjustment phase that requires a really high level of commitment. Um, and there's a that adjustment phase goes along with a learning curve. Um, and it requires dedication and commitment to sort of get through that, you know, let our bodies adjust to different foods and different priorities and also – just troubleshoot, you know, what am I going to make when I get home um, at 8 p.m. and I'm starving? What am I going to grab for breakfast when I'm in a rush? What am I going to eat when I'm done at the gym, right? There's a lot of problem solving that goes with paleo or AIP or any, like any significant shift from how we were eating before, um, where we actually care <laughs> what we put in our bodies. So, um, so I, you know, this reading this question sort of made me think back to that particular struggle. Um, that sort of, you know, when you know what to do, how do you make that step between, um, you know. I, I wasn't following this yesterday, but I'm following it today. Like when, when does tomorrow become today? And, um, and I thought there's probably a lot of really interesting um, conversation that we can have around that. So should I just go ahead and read the question? Before you do, I just want to comment on something you said, cause I think we're, I think we're in agreement, but I want to, I want to clarify something that I think I heard you say, which is that AIP isn't hard. And I think you know, from my perspective, it's not easy either. Like having the discipline to make the decision to not eat anything tomato based when I'm traveling is difficult. Like it, I want to eat what my kids are eating and I want to, you know, get gluten-free buns every time they get gluten-free buns. Um, but it's also, um, so much more liberating and easier to make those choices the longer you've been doing them or when you know what your triggers are and where you can relax and and not relax. And you can't physically get there to make those choices until you've kind of had an elimination period where your body is clear of it all. 
and then you reintroduce it. I think, Sarah, you had like a really interesting story that you told where you gave up gluten for a period of time and then you gave up dairy for a period of time and you didn't see relief on your autoimmune disease. And it wasn't until you gave up both gluten and dairy that you saw improvement. And I think that says a lot about elimination diets, which is that you need to give your system time enough to recover and not just time, but make it easy by reducing all the different things. So if you only do one at a time um, with particularly AIP, although it's extremely difficult um, at first, the more you plan, the more you adjust, the more you utilize resources that are available now, which are amazing uh, and were not around when Sarah and I went AIP, um, the, the better off you are. So I think like if you can find a support group or we'll talk about different things you can do, but um, I think for me, I don't want anyone to feel like, oh, well, it's not easy for me, I must be doing it wrong, or what's wrong with me, or blah, blah, blah. Like, I remember crying, like, literally breaking down into tears several times my first 30 days, because there were foods that I had come to rely on, hard-boiled eggs, dried nuts, uh, jerky, that I could just, you know, know that I could have around as a healthy snack, um, or that I could put in my glove box that suddenly became unavailable to me. Um, and so that was, it took an adjustment to to reframe my life and, and get used to what the new things that I could um, utilize were and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so that's why, that's, that is exactly the experience that I like to frame as a learning curve rather than framing as it being difficult. Because exactly what you said, it's it's definitely a challenge at first, but as you do that troubleshooting as you figure out, okay, well, now if I can't have hard-boiled eggs, what is the other thing that I can, you know, bring with me? What, you know, as you start to solve those problems as they come up and as you um, get through that elimination and start to see results too, right? That's such a huge motivator once you start to see changes. Um, but I think that it's exactly that experience of sort of feeling overwhelmed at first um, and feeling like this is so different and this is, you know, and it feeling that it's really hard. But what it really takes is um, because it that's it, it lasts a different length of time for different people, but it doesn't stay like that. Right. Like that feeling of this is hard and this is difficult and this is overwhelming is sort of a, a very like I'm just jumping into this thing and I'm learning it as I do it and I'm trying to problem solve as I'm doing it. And I'm hitting these crisis points where I'm starving and I'm on the road and there's nothing for me to eat. You know, so a lot of it is learning how to plan ahead and getting a good repertoire of portable foods and getting a good repertoire of breakfast foods, right? That's the learning curve part. So I like to frame it rather than calling it something that's hard or calling it something that's difficult, you know, making it sound like something that's intimidating um, and um, dissuading people from trying it who really can benefit from it. I like to rather warn people that there is, there is this adjustment period and there is this learning curve and it does take some time to solve the implementation challenges for you in your life, within your budget, in your home, with whatever the people around you are eating, with however much travel you do, where you live, your access to food. Um, so, 
you know, for me, I, I feel like it's important to frame that in a way that emphasizes that there is another side and there's that other side where suddenly the AIP becomes just the way we eat. And maybe it's AIP with a few reintroductions. I mean, both you and I have managed to reintroduce quite a few foods, but not all of the foods and different ones, right? Like you and I have sort of a slightly overlapping list of things that we've been able to reintroduce. Um, and that definitely makes things easier. We both really know the lines that are we can cross or, and can't cross when we're traveling or when we're eating out. And that's huge. Um, but that's part of this whole learning experience. So I kind of I like to emphasize that there's this point in time where those problems, those what am I going to eat, I want to treat and there's nothing for me or I'm, you know, I'm on the road and I can't grab anything from the gas station. Like you, there's this other side where those are all perfectly solvable problems and, you know, we've learned how to plan ahead and not get into those, you know, jams where we're starving and there's nothing to eat. And we've sort of learned how to navigate our lives within this dietary framework. Um, so rather than saying paleo is hard, because I mean, like when you look at critiques of the paleo diet now, that's, that's what they're saying. It's not that it, it's not health promoting or that it's not based in science. It's that, well, people find it really hard because they have to learn how to order hamburgers in restaurants without the bun. And I, I just feel like when you frame it that way, you set yourself up for feeling deprived, for feeling like you can't do it. Um, and you put another barrier in front of you as opposed to entering in with the mindset of this is going to require commitment and dedication and I'm going to have to do some hard work, but I'm going to figure this out because it's a solvable problem. And I think that really changes how the AIP looks from the outside, but also how quickly we get to that point of um, comfort within the framework. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And like I said, I, I really think that we're saying the same thing. We're just using different kind of terminology. And so one, if one person hadn't interpreted what you were saying yeah. one way, I wanted to give an alternative to it. But I, I don't think that, you know, anyone can go into any kind of change, whether it's paleo or AIP, and not anticipate and plan for the magnitude of difference that it is, not just for the food, but for the lifestyle factors and the emotional change, um, the, the social implications. And, you know, those kinds of things are why we have this podcast so that we can address all of those issues and um, educate on why it's important to, to do what we're all doing. And I think, um, yeah, anyway, I'll just let you read the question now. <laughs> now that we've halfway, I think. Well, no, it. I think that was. I think that was. I think it was really good to sort of frame that experience in a few different ways, so that because I know that we'll we often get new, sort of new listeners who are starting this journey and um, sort of binge listening to podcasts, which I really think is a terrible idea, and nobody should actually do that. Um, but um, but we'll often sort of get these sort of new listeners who are at the beginning of that journey. And I think giving people 
the range of vocabulary is really useful because it can allow people to think about how their sort of self-talk is in relation to the changes that they're trying to make and adjust that to something that is going to be more sustainable and positive. So I think I think that's good. All right, I'll read this question. It's from Susie. I'm wanting to begin the AIP diet and do the 90-day elimination and take the diet seriously. The dilemma is that I am going to Fiji in March and have a wedding celebration to attend in April. To add to this, we are thinking of trying to conceive again in June or July so that there will be around two and a half year gap between our children. Also, we know that it can take a while to conceive and carry the baby to full term. I am wanting your advice on when I should start the 90-day elimination with all of this in mind. Should I just do the more mellow diet approach that my naturopath has suggested if I'm finding the other diet she suggested too hard until the wedding in April? Will this give me enough time to do the AIP properly before trying to conceive? Can you do the elimination and reintroduction components of the AIP while pregnant? I love listening to your podcast all the way from Australia. I would love to get an answer. Thank you. So I will let you cover the pregnancy piece, um, which we do have specific I think we did do a paleo AIP show if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but nonetheless, I, um, I really think first of all, it's about personal preference. Like we've, we've talked on this show before about, you know, the all in approach or phased approach. The unique thing about AIP um is that some people who are experiencing things in a regular standard American diet might not need to go AIP, even if they have um, immune disruption so or autoimmune. Um, so sometimes just going paleo is enough. So in that case, both Sarah and I have said on the podcast before, going from McDonald's to AIP can be overwhelming and not setting yourself up for success. So try paleo first and see if you get relief of whatever it is you're looking for. And if not, then take the next step towards, you know, eliminating more things using the paleo approach. Um, What I think is more pertinent to this question, though, is if you're working with a naturopath and, you know, you're working with a professional who knows you and knows your body and, and is very aware of the conditions you have and says, well, I really think that this is going to be the best thing for you right now, but if you can't handle it, here's this other thing to do. So let's say that's AIP is what they really recommend, but if you can't do that, then do paleo. If it were me, I would definitely just jump in. And I think the reason that I would jump in is because you can tell yourself, okay, it's it's just 30 days. Like even if there's a wedding or even if whatever, like, you know, when we started paleo, I told my kids 14 sleeps and we marked it off in the calendar. And at the end of 14 sleeps, they all felt so much better that it was much easier to continue. So even if you just tell yourself like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to come up with alternative things that I'll either make from a blog or a recipe book when I go to this party or I do this thing. You know, I always bring desserts when we go to parties for this very reason, because I know that there will be most likely a meat and a vegetable dish that my kids can eat or a salad or whatever. But there's 
very, very, very rarely going to be a grain-free dessert. So um, I think if you can set yourself up and say, okay, I'm going to do this. It's for me. It's for my health. It's for my well-being. And you just tell yourself, I'm doing this. And you do it. I think it's so much easier than dealing with, frankly, the stress of it looming over you. You know, we talk a lot about stress and mental well-being. And um, I had a hashtag for a really long time called um, so, uh, self-respect is the new... I don't even remember what it was, but I was encouraging everybody to really focus on self-respect above all, because if you can tell yourself you're going to do something and if you can focus on doing that in a healthy way, um, then it's so much easier than telling yourself I have to do this or I should do this. Those words can be really damaging and stressful. And so um, if you can just come up with a plan and say, okay, now is the time I'm doing it. Um, the first few days are the hardest, but after that, it's so much easier to continue the routine. And, you know, if you have a community, if you have resources, if you are able to plan ahead, you know, start um, after you have had an opportunity to, you know, bulk prep and, and do those sorts of things, you really set yourself up for success. And it's no different, frankly, than, you know, certain parts of your life where, you didn't have a lot of money to eat out or, you know, you had the stomach flu and you ate nothing but broth or, you know, like you've done these things before just in a different context. So you can definitely do them again if you do it, you know, like you have to commit. Nobody else can do it for you. It's you and your body. I was raising the roof. <laughs> Sweet. Trizzy, you can't see it. I was talking with my hands so much that Trizzy got a little irritated with me. So I was like, okay, okay. I got to calm down. Um, so I kind of want to add on some of the things you said, but I feel like I should answer some of the more technical aspects of this question first. Um, so first, you know, I'm pretty sure you're right that we did do uh, an AIP and pregnancy show at some point, but, but let me just sort of briefly summarize, um, autoimmune disease tends to do one of two things during pregnancy. One is flare and the other one is go into remission. And that's because while we're pregnant, we have this shift in our immune systems that is designed to stop our body from attacking the fetus. And that shift, depending on exactly the details of what, what segments of the immune system are overactive and attacking um, tissues in your body, that shift in pregnancy can either drive the autoimmune attacks further, that's flare, or they can suppress the autoimmune attacks and that's remission. And remission is, is a, little more, a little bit more common than flare. And then typically what happens is upon birth of the baby, um, when there's a big hormone adjustment or upon weaning, when there's another big hormone adjustment or sometimes in a stepwise way, we tend to experience the opposite. So people who have remission during pregnancy can flare upon birth or weaning. Um, and people who have a flare during pregnancy, things tend to completely figure themselves out again once the baby's born. So, um, Depending on what your experience is during pregnancy, 
Um, if you're flaring, that might be a time where you want to stick really strictly to the AAP and not touch any reintroductions and just really work on nutrient density and getting through those nine months as healthily as possible. If you're experiencing remission, I actually think that that's a wonderful time to take advantage of the fact that our immune systems are cooperating a little bit and look at some of the non-AIP foods that have some really compelling nutrition like pasture-raised eggs and grass-fed dairy um, and and maybe even some traditionally prepared legumes like and start looking at some of those things and, and playing with them. I think that um, for people who are, are lucky enough to, to go into remission during pregnancy, to enjoy the extra flexibility in diet that that time gives um, while maintaining that nutrient focus, I think makes a lot of sense. But then know that you may have to go really, really strict um, upon birth of, of the baby and, and tighten things up um, in anticipation of, you know, attempting to mitigate how bad a flare may be at the other side. So um, you can do elimination and reintroduction during pregnancy, but it may, especially the reintroduction, may not um, – it really gives you like what you can reintroduce during pregnancy, and it may not translate to post-pregnancy. So um, you know, I know plenty of people who um, were able to eat all kinds of things during pregnancy, and they, as soon as the baby was born, they weren't able to eat those foods anymore. So just know that that's a possibility. So reintroductions need to be thought of as having a, a time cap um, and that that process may have to be restarted after birth. Now, I don't want to, you know, one of the things that I think, you know, Susie sort of talks about is doing this 90 days really strict. And I really love the dedication that she's bringing to this. That's how I approached paleo um, when I first started was I, you know, I Rob Wolf had his, you know, try it for 30 days, see how you look, feel, and perform. I was like, nah, I'm going to try it for three months. Like, I'm going to see your 30 days. I'm going to raise you, right? And I, I had that exact same mentality going in. Um, but I didn't think too hard about what was coming up, like Halloween and my birthday. Um, those things I thought about more, oh, it's Halloween and I'm watching the kids eat treats and I'm following this paleo diet. And that was the time when I hadn't started transitioning my family yet. And I had to, again, go through that learning curve and figure out what I could make for myself within the paleo framework that would work. And that was the first time I experimented with paleo baking. Um, so I, I feel like, you know, when we're struggling with our health and we have these amazing tools in front of us, um, I feel like, um, delaying is then that's when it's all in your head because there's no rule saying we have to do the AIP for 90 days. That's not written anywhere. Um, it's not a, it's not a prescribed 90 day elimination. It's a prescribed minimum two to four weeks elimination. Um, and what I recommend is that people wait until they start to see improvements in symptoms because what you're trying to do with reintroductions is you're trying to establish whether or not that food is working for you or not. And it's really hard to establish if that food is working for you if you're not feeling better. So if you're still feeling as crummy as you were before, if that food is not working for you, you may not be able to identify that. So um, really waiting until we're, we're feeling good and we see substantial improvement and then tackling reintroductions in a very methodical way to um, isolate which foods are foods that are 
you know, are being tolerated and that are working for us versus foods that are, are not. Um, and, you know, sh- Susie could be starting the AIP tomorrow and could be ready to, to start some, some reintroductions ahead of her trip to Fiji or ahead of, of the wedding that she's going to. Um, and the other thing that I would encourage is instead of thinking about a wedding as I'm, you know, I'm stuck because they're going to serve this thing is, um, how can you work around that situation? Um, you know, I was completely AIP at my brother and sister-in-law's wedding and, um, I was able to, to, to figure out how to make that work. And, um, that took some, you know, talking and, um, you know, figuring out what was going to be on the menu that I was going to be able to eat and whether or not I needed to have anything in my be- in my purse, you know, to round out the day. But, you know, I'd sort of like to encourage Susie to, instead of thinking of those events as, well, I can't start the AIP because this event is in the way, um, you can think of them as a holiday mid-journey. Mid um, you could think of them as, well, that's going to be, you know, I'll stay gluten-free and dairy-free during that time, and I guess I'll find out how bad tomatoes are for me. Um, you could think of it as your challenge to figure out, like, what if this happens, right? Some people feel amazing on the AIP, and they never successfully reintroduce foods. Th- that does happen sometimes. It's definitely the minority. I think most people successfully reintroduce at least a few things. But if that's Susie, you know, then – the her vacation and this wedding is an opportunity to try to figure out how to make these wonderful life events that are so fulfilling and enriching in our lives still work within this new framework. So it's a challenge, um, but a worthwhile one to take on. So I, I definitely want to encourage Susie to, you know, not kick the can um, because – when though for those of us who are dealing with autoimmune disease and Stacy and I have talked many many times about the IP being complementary medicine and this doesn't mean that we throw out all our prescription drugs and we never go see our doctor again but it is still a very potent diet and i think that when we kick the can on it or when we half-heartedly implement it, right? We implement it without the nutrient density focus, for example, or we implement it without the lifestyle focus, for example. The people, the the person who's being deprived is ourselves. And the person who's losing in that situation is ourselves. And I really liked Stacey's point about um, the stress being um, of, of this you know, thing that I'm going to have to do at this time and and knowing that that's coming being more harmful to our health than just like diving in and start working on it. And if, you know, the wedding ends up being a hiccup and you take two steps backwards, oh my gosh, you got to take five steps before that wedding. So I think that it's, it's definitely worth considering jumping in there now. Yeah. The other thing that 
is one of the most common things that we hear from people because this is more than just about this one question. This is something we hear pretty often is this idea like, oh, well, I can't give up Diet Coke or I can't give up cream in my coffee and therefore I'm not going to do any of it. And, you know, you and I have both said to spouses and parents and different things that come to book signings that say that like, oh, I'm supporting, you know, my daughter, but I can't do it because I just have this one thing. Like we look at them in the eyes and we, I mean, we connect with them and we say, then do everything else. And if and when you want to give up that item, you will. Like, imagine the benefit that you're getting out of giving up 99%. It's the same thing if you have an event in your life. There are plenty of people who do paleo and, you know, bend the rules for certain events. And it's great to want to be perfect, especially for a certain amount of time for elimination. But worst case scenario, like you said, you have a hiccup, you realize that something, you know, causes inflammation or whatever when you consume it. And then you say, all right, well, not going to eat that again for a while. Um, and I, I just feel like people are very hard on themselves or, um, imagine things to be more difficult to take on than they are. And I think maybe that's because you and I have been doing it for so long that we forget, you know, what it's like to start and how overwhelming it feels. And I think, you know, the great thing about starting now is that there are so many resources. There's um, even just from Sarah and I alone, there's so many resources. But on top of that, there's a whole community of people that offer resources and different approaches. I mean, Mark Sisson, who's been on the podcast, advocates an 80-20 rule because of this very reason. So um, I'll never forget the first time I met Mark Sisson. I was in line behind him at the very first Paleo FX at Starbucks. And the barista had told me that there was like a mad rush on Americanos because that's what all of the Paleo people were ordering. Um, this is before almond milk and coconut milk and all that. That kind of stuff was available. And um, and Mark Sisson stood in front of me and he ordered like a mocha something. I don't remember if it was a frappuccino or a drink or whatever it was. And I kind of chuckled when he ordered it, not because I was judging him, but because I was like, that's totally Mark Sisson, like living his 80-20 rule. Go, go ahead, Mark Sisson, with your mocha. And he turned to me and he was like, well... It's what I want and I can afford to have it. And he just kind of like, it was a joke that we had together. And um, I just think that that mentality doesn't work for everybody who has an autoimmune disease and who's trying to um, have an elimination diet so that they can figure out what foods bother them and don't bother them. Mark Sisson had been doing it a very long time, I'm sure, before he you know, decided what he could or could not and when to bend. But I think that is what gives hope to the situation. That's what makes it sustainable long term is that I can go on vacation with my family and I can you know, have gluten-free treats. And I know that I'm going to have gas and I know that I'm going to, you know, not feel my best, but I also know that I'm not going to have debilitating joint pain and that I'm still going to be able to walk and, you know, have a good time. Those are the choices that I make because that's what works for me, but it doesn't work for everybody. And, you know, you've got to make that leap, that initial leap in order to get there. And you're not alone. 
there's so much good on the other side. I mean, my life has completely changed because I made this decision. I know Sarah feels the same way. So we're just going to encourage all of you to find the positive, find the hope, and it will be amazing because you'll either, you know, you'll figure something out. Whatever it is that you figure out, you will learn something about yourself, which is always amazing. Yeah. Wah, wah. Right. Um, I love that you brought up what I think of as uh, finding your currency. And I actually have a blog post drafted to sort of flush out this idea a little bit more. Um, But the two things that I hear people say they can't give up, they, they would do the AIP, but they can't give up this one thing. One is chocolate and the other one is coffee. And those are these, these two like non-starters, like, oh my gosh, I can't do the AIP. I'd have to give up coffee. And, um, and I was, you know, exactly what you said, then do that and tackle coffee later. Um, if that's your currency, if you can buy into, all of the rest of these amazing things and you can figure out how to hide liver from yourself and you can eat, you know, six cups of kale a day and all, you know, you can do all these other amazing things for yourself. As long as you can have that morning cup of coffee, then see how far you get with that. Maybe coffee, that'll be amazing. Like coffee would have been a successful reintroduction and you can skip through that elimination and reintroduction phase on coffee. Maybe you'll go two months down the line, decide that you're not seeing the results you want and it's time to try giving up coffee. But if that's what gets you to take that first step, um, if that's what gets you to make all of these other amazing, positive, healthy choices, then that's your currency and, and buy in. Um, and I think that, um, that's, I think in many ways what we're all trying to do because nothing about paleo or the AIP is designed to be a short term fix, lose weight before the wedding or, you know, like many other diets are very much designed to, you're going to hit this goal and then you're going to go off of it. You know, paleo is about changing how we evaluate the merits of food and using a broad scientific foundation to evaluate whether or not a food should have a place in our diets. And then from that educational foundation, make the best choices we can as often as possible that fit within our lives so that we can be as healthy as we can be and live as long as we can. And when we think about paleo and AIP and that sort of long game framework, I think it puts a different perspective on the everyday choices. And I think it can really help us find that balance. But as you said, Stacy, it's really hard to find balance unless you take the first step. Well, I think that we have tackled this and we can wish everyone their absolute best. And don't forget that no matter what happens, if you made a, make a mistake or if you make a choice, I remember one time I was in a Whole30 and I accidentally had tea and then I read, the, well, I didn't accidentally have tea. I had tea and then I read the label later and there was soy lecithin in the tea and I like cried because I'd made a mistake and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm trying to have a perfect Whole30 and I had this tea I thought was healthy and like it was an issue. 
I, I clearly had some issues. But so if you make a mistake or if you make a choice that ends up not being ultimately what you wanted to make long term, guilting yourself and getting stuck on that and, you know, snowballing into emotional behaviors is not going to benefit you. Like the best thing that you can do for yourself if that happens is say, okay, that happened. Now I'm going to move forward and I'm not going to do that again. Or, you know, that'll happen again at this other point in the future. Um, But food does not pass judgment upon you. So there's no reason to feel guilty um, about it. It's, it's a matter of a choice that you're making. And I think the more positively we can frame um, that emotional standard, the better off we'll, we'll all feel about the good choices that hopefully we make. Uh, Drop the mic. All right. Well, I'm back and (laughs) clearly we're back. Welcome back. Thank you. Um, and thank you to those of you who were so sweet and recommendations provided on the West Coast. There were a lot of places that we ate based off of um, recommendations that people provided and things that we visited um, that we wouldn't have found without you. So I can't thank you enough for participating and making our family vacation wonderful. And I look forward to talking to you again next week, Sarah, um, when I will be less crazy and jet lagged. <laughs> uh, and hopefully, well, that'll probably be exactly the same as I was tonight, but that's all right. It'll, it'll just be the next few months. It's fine. Um, well, welcome back. Hopefully the boys adjust soon. And um, thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to the Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Um, Oh, my doodle, my doodle page isn't ready for my doodling. (laughs) Random. Hello. You know, what's super awesome Nope. Your children and their attitude when you're adjusting to jet lag. <laughs> I normally would use words that mean the opposite of awesome to I don't, describe I don't such know a situation. What you're talking about. You you have magic children who are your like nice, respectful human beings when they're jet lagged? No, no, I do not. <laughs> I mean, phew, because every single parent who listens to our show and travels across time zones with their kids was about to hate you. <laughs> no, I do not. No. So this is, this is, so when I travel, I've, I really give like a three day buffer on both sides for my kids to adjust where, you know, we plan only activities that will help them like adjust faster. So like a walk outside, you know, maybe a trip to the local park, but nothing where like it's high stakes. Like I, you have to behave well because you're visiting, you know, an elderly relative or something like none of those things get planned during that adjustment period because um, yeah, it's so much harder on kids jet lag. I feel than And it, 
and that because it's so much harder on the kids, it makes it so much harder on the parents. Um, but it's it's really not my favorite. And three hours is is just it's just enough to be really mean. It's not enough to completely mess you up. So it like forces like a major like rejig of your brain. Like if you were traveling, you know, to Europe or you know, like Australia, where it's like, oh, I'm completely confused, and now my brain's just going to reset. Three hours is just enough that your your brain takes like forever to adjust. I usually find it better coming home, though, if that helps. I mean, no, no, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Because my kids had to get up for school at what was three in the morning, four in the morning. Yeah, four thirty a.m. And. Are just not very pleasant. Wesley had a really difficult time falling asleep last night. Um, you know, it's just it's life. But I think we should um, actually start a show, and I can talk about positive things. That's, that's what I think. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.